If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. Welcome to my show. Now, before we get going, I need you to imagine something, all right? I need you to picture something in your mind. I need you to picture there's a country in Africa, and this country's head, its leader, he has his interior police force, as most countries do, and he has his exterior spy force, right? You got the head of this country, interior police force, exterior spy force. The head of this country All of a sudden, we find out he has been using both the interior police force and the exterior spy force 
to legally go after his political opponent. What would you do? What would you think if you heard that? You know what you'd do? I'll tell you what you'd do. Even if you don't want to admit it, you'd go, man. Well, that's typical over there. Third world place can't get its act together. Completely corrupt. It's just ridiculous. That was here. That took place in the United States of America. And none of that's an exaggeration. I, I Think about this. In the United States of America, our CIA worked with our FBI, our federal law enforcement arm, under either the direct supervision or knowledge under, of President Barack Obama to get an illegal wiretap from the FISA court to spy on Donald Trump's campaign. I understand we are facing massive issues right now in the United States. We are. We have a coronavirus pandemic we're still trying to put down. We have 50, 60 million jobs at least gone. I know the official number is 40, but we all know it's a lot higher than that. We have this horrible situation that's been taking place this past week in Minnesota. There's always a new news story out there distracting you. Oh, there's something new out here. There is no bigger deal in the United States than if all of what we think is true right now turns out to be a fact. And as of this moment, there's not even a reasonable, there's no reason to assume it's not. We know that. Hillary Clinton's campaign chose to use a firm and told this firm to get dirt on Donald Trump. They went and found a disgraced, mind you, a disgraced foreign intelligence agent to put together a dossier of dirt on Donald Trump. He then sticks a bunch of lies in the dossier, brings it back. That dossier makes its way into the hands of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who takes it down to the FISA court, the FISA court that's supposed to be sacred, mind you. That's why it's a secretive court. It's a sacred court. Oh, it's, it's, it's very, very secretive. We're spying on American citizens. We have got to do this by the letter of the law. And they took this garbage information into the FISA court to spy on Trump's campaign. That is by far the biggest scandal in the history of the United States of America. And we still don't know exactly who did what yet. We're still in the middle of this big investigation, and it looks really, really bad. Really bad. Take a look at this. So the D.C. Circuit has invited the Department of Justice to weigh in, and we will do so. We will reiterate the arguments we made in our brief below, which we believe this case should be dropped. And certainly as the prosecutors in the case, as the Department of Justice, we have the prosecutorial discretion to make that decision. And, Sean, Jeff Jensen, he's the U.S. attorney who the AG appointed to review the Flynn case. Ten years, a career prosecutor, spent ten years also in the FBI when he completed his review of the Flynn case, he told the attorney general that based on what we now know, he does not believe that any one of our 93 U.S. attorneys in the country would have continued to prosecute this case. Ponder what she just said there for a moment. They took down Michael Flynn. They took down a man by any measure, whether you're on the right or the left, you look at this man's military record, by any measure, an American hero, they took him down with nothing just because they wanted to take him down. That is the exact thing that's not supposed to be able to happen 
in the United States of America. You know that Lady Liberty thing where she's wearing the blindfold, justice is blood, due process. None of them would have prosecuted this case. And yet Michael Flynn has his reputation destroyed, gets prosecuted for this. This is a big deal, a big deal. Trump, at least to his credit, seems to be taking it really seriously. It is a disgrace what's happened. This is the greatest political uh, scam, hoax in the history of our country. Well, it is the biggest And people should be going to jail seen. for this stuff. And hopefully a lot of people are going to have to pay. No other president should have to go through. And I'll tell you, General Flynn and others are heroes, heroes, because what's happened to them, they weren't after General Flynn. They wanted him to lie about me, make up a story. And with few exceptions, nobody did that. There were many people. I watched KT McFarlane the other day. I watched where she was knock, knock, FBI. You know, the FBI, okay? This was all Obama. This was all Biden. These people were corrupt. The whole thing was corrupt, and we caught them. And that's the problem, and he's 100% right there. This is not just the United States president. This is the federal law enforcement arm. The federal law enforcement arm. With all due respect to somebody who lives in a small town, because look, I've lived most of my life in small towns. I'm not putting anyone down. This is not some small town police department getting caught up in a pay-for-play corruption scheme. This is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. If you're in the Federal Bureau of Investigation, you don't get to have an oopsie, guess we pick sides in the election moment. Someone has to burn for this. And Obama, after getting busted with all this, the arrogance on this guy, after getting busted with all this, Obama's mad Flynn's going to get out of it. There is no precedent that anybody can find for uh, someone who's been charged with perjury, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you, you begin to get worried that our basic understanding of, of rule of law is at risk. Yeah. Not, does not look good for him. A.G. Barr, though, to his, look, he's done a great job. I don't mean to be salty about it. Says we're not doing tit for tat. The law enforcement and intelligence apparatus of this country were involved in advancing a false and utterly baseless Russian collusion narrative against the president. The proper investigative and prosecutive standards of the Department of Justice were abused, in my view, in order to reach a particular result. We saw two different standards of justice emerge, one that applied to President Trump and his associates, and the other that applied to everybody else. We can't allow this ever to happen again. The Durham investigation is trying to get to the bottom of what happened, and it will determine whether there were any federal laws broken, and if there were, those who broke the laws uh, will be held to account. But this cannot be, and it will not be, a tit-for-tat exercise. We are not going to lower the standards just to achieve a result. The only way to stop this vicious cycle, the only way to break away from a dual system of justice is to make sure that we scrupulously apply 
a single and proper standard of justice for everybody. I have no issue with all that. My only issue is this. Tit for tat won't be a tit for tat is fine. I want him to go by the letter of the law. I don't want to operate like them. However, what I'm worried about, he does not sound like he wants to do this, mind you, but what I'm really, really worried about when it comes to everything we're dealing with here, I'm worried about letting off the left for what they did because we want it to look nice. Because, well, we don't want to do what they did. We're better than that. No, if somebody committed a crime using the power of the government against their political opponent, that somebody has to go to federal prison. And I don't want to hear we're taking away his pension. I don't want to hear we're, well, we've destroyed his reputation, that somebody has to go to federal prison. Otherwise, you don't take it seriously. Don't tell me how seriously you take it. Show me how seriously you take it. All of that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Now, what you need after that, what you're going to need tonight and every other night in the future, is a good night's sleep. You need an ebb sleep. You need, you need it because it targets the reason you actually can't sleep. And I have news for you. The reason you can't sleep is not that you don't have enough sleeping pills in you. The reason you can't sleep is you can't turn off your mind. I know I've gone through this. I know exactly what you're going through. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to buy an ebb sleep. You're going to put it on. You're then going to sleep like a baby for the rest of your life and shoot me a little email one day saying, thank you, Jesse, for the recommendation. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get you 25 bucks off. We got a ton of great show for you. Hang on. Joining me now, Sidney Powell, the lawyer for Michael Flynn and author of License to Lie. To be honest, a book you should have already read, so go get it. Sidney, before we begin with all the other festivities here with what happened under Barack Obama, what is Michael Flynn doing as we speak? I think a lot of people are unaware. Is he on a vacation in Spain? Is he buried under a federal prison? What's going on with Michael Flynn? Uh, he is at his home in the upper northeast part of the country, and uh, hopefully he's out surfing today. <laughs> let's, let's hope he is. Okay, I, I think everybody pretty much is caught up on the gross injustice that was done to this man. You are his lawyer. You're also, before you were even his lawyer, one of the most knowledgeable people I've known on this stuff. Why? Why go after Michael Flynn? Well, it was, there were multiple reasons. First of all, he, Obama hated his guts. He had spoken out when he was head of Obama's Defense Intelligence Agency, testifying truthfully in front of Congress about the rise of ISIS and how Obama had mischaracterized it and was, it was a huge problem. He was outspoken about the Benghazi incident. He was outspoken about the war in Afghanistan and what a disaster that was. In fact, the Washington Post now has a lengthy interview up that was done of him as part of their Afghanistan papers uh, when he was interviewed by a government agent on that. 
and he he just knows so much about everything that was going wrong during the Obama administration and what needs to be done to fix it. He was going to audit the intel agencies. He knew that they were running billions of dollars in off-book operations, were bloated. Money was being used right and left. He knows that the Office of Net Assessment in the Pentagon hasn't done a net assessment in 10 years or so. And of course, Adam Lovinger wrote a valid whistleblower complaint about that and was, of course, punished for it. I mean, there's, there's one thing after the other. He, he knows a lot about what's wrong and what's needed to fix it. He sounds like a man who is getting ready to expose or trying to expose some very, very powerful people, and they took him down. But this is the United States of America. That's not supposed to be able to happen here. Why did it happen here? Well, it happened because it was very deliberate, very well orchestrated, uh, carefully planned and executed for the most part. And if Donald Trump had not won the election, it still would not have been discovered. And a lot of people had to do a lot of work, including congressmen like Devin Nunes, who started digging in this early on. And a lot of, uh, frankly, Twitter investigators that have been very active in looking for the truth and reading the actual documents to see what was exposed in them. The Inspector General's report, I, I mean, there, you know, it's been a multifaceted approach to trying to figure out the truth. And it's taken us a lot of people all these years now, three or four years, to sort it out and, and really start exposing it. And of course, Mr. Uh, Jensen has done a lot as the U.S. attorney reviewing the Flynn case. If Attorney General Barr had not appointed him, the government would still be hiding the evidence that shows General Flynn is innocent. In fact, there's even more that we're still waiting on that they're probably using for other investigations and that might explain why we don't have it yet. And of course, now the Judge Sullivan has has invited uh, uh, friends of the court to file briefs, and we're getting all kinds of things in under that category, including some rather unusual applications to intervene in the case. And the D.C. Circuit is looking at our writ of mandamus to tell Judge Sullivan what he really has to do is dismiss it because the government has moved to dismiss it, just like they did in the Ted Stevens case when Eric Holder was attorney general, and, and Mr. Judge Sullivan dismissed that right away he didn't appoint an amicus to investigate that i don't mean to interrupt you but you went right over my head when you said friends of the court and submit what is a friend of the court what's a submittal explain that for stupid people like me (laughs) well we filed what's called a petition for writ of mandamus which is an emergency motion essentially to the court of appeals when a judge has acted without jurisdiction or without authority under the law to do what it is he did. And the appellate court, the DC circuit has the case now on our petition asking them to tell Judge Sullivan he cannot appoint friends of the court to represent his position apparently, which is that General Flynn needs to be prosecuted for something. And he cannot invite other people to participate as friends of the court in a criminal case in the district court. There's simply no provision for that in the rules or whatever. And a friend of the court or amici as it's called in Latin for the plural or amicus curiae for the singular is somebody who has some sort of interest in the case that's allowed to take a position in it for some reason. It happens often in courts of appeals, but not in district courts, and certainly not in district courts in criminal cases, as Judge Sullivan bizarrely invited here. 
because the government Sydney, moved to dismiss it. Sydney, I keep hearing names, obviously, that everybody knows by now. John Brennan, James Comey, James Clapper, all these people. Brennan is the one that always really, really, really stood out to me. Because even if you can make the argument, which I would not, that Comey was just haplessly going along with some investigation, whoops, fell into it. Uh, Brennan was CIA, not FBI. In what universe could he be involved in this in any way? Because that's domestic, right? Right. And we know that it started with overseas operations. I mean, this was run like a counterintelligence operation uh, against a, a foreign dictator or something. They seeded information with friendly foreigners and then worked it back into the United States in different ways, luring Papadopoulos to London, uh, luring Carter Page to London, Mifsud, the guy from Italy that had some role in it. I mean, there are a lot of things that were done. And of course, all of it kind of traces back to Brennan and Five Eyes, the multi-agency cooperative group for intelligence sharing um, among democracies, supposedly. And there's an or also an organization, a private organization called Halculate or something like that that's in England, and there are a lot of connections that tie into that. I'm glad you brought that up, and I obviously don't want you to speak out of turn here, but England, I continue to hear these ties that lead back to England, lead back to the UK in some way. Surely their government wasn't involved in this nasty bit of business in some way, right? This was just private companies over there? I don't think it was just private companies. I think there was some involvement from MI5 or MI6, and, uh, you know, we, I, I hope Mr. Durham, the U.S. attorney from Connecticut, who's investigating the whole thing, figures out how they were involved and how deep it went. But I think, I think there was some official government involvement because one of the things that's missing from the Flynn case is a letter that was hand-delivered from the British consulate to the incoming national security team on January 10th, I believe, of 2017 completely disavowing Christopher Steele and, and you know, telling everybody not to pay any attention to anything he said because he wasn't credible. And that letter, letter would have been also delivered to Susan Rice, but nobody can seem to find a copy of it. What was Susan Rice's role in all this? I think she was very involved. Um, she did a lot of the unmasking. She orchestrated a lot of it with Mr. Brennan. She had to have been heavily involved. She was in the January 5th meeting in the Oval Office with President Obama, Sally Yates, Brennan, Clapper, Comey, right before they dispatched him, Comey to uh, New York to brief incoming President Trump on only the salacious aspects of the dossier so they could set the news hook for BuzzFeed and CNN to run with the whole steel dossier baloney. Uh, I mean, as national security advisor, she was the one interfacing with General Flynn on the transition. Uh, she knew they were hiding stuff from him. Oh, and another big reason they couldn't have him as NSA is because he would have uncovered all of this very quickly, very quickly. He, in another two weeks, he probably would have uncovered all of their massive abuses of in, the intelligence surveillance capability of the country whether it was a, a legal system or even possibly an illegal system they had set up that Brennan and Clapper and Mueller and all those guys had set up a while back. I mean, they were, they were mining the NSA database as if it was their own personal private encyclopedia of everything they wanted on any American.
Sydney, finally, people do not understand how the law process works for the most part. People are looking at Durham. You brought up Durham. He has this excellent reputation. You're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong as a man who digs and finds the truth. But people want to know, when are we going to find out something? When is this thing going to end? How long do these things take? Are we, are we going to have something tomorrow? Is it going to be two years from now? Set our expectations here. Well, I certainly share their frustrations. This one seems to have taken an inordinately long time, particularly when compared with the Mueller investigation that started indicting people within weeks after being created. But to Attorney General Barr's credit, and hopefully to Mr. Durham's credit, they are actually going about it the proper way. It's good that there have been no leaks from it. I think that's a really good sign that they are following the law and they're not just flying off to indict people on little process violations as they call them, but trying to find out what the real crimes were and bring it to light. So I am cautiously optimistic that we should see some indictments within the next couple of months at the outside. Attorney General Barr said that nobody running for president is implicated in it, so it's not affected by the election at least so far, so that's good, because we all want answers. I mean, it's at least a year now that it's been under investigation, and they should be close to being able to indict some of the appropriate people on the real issues and facts and crimes, and and let's get on with it. Sydney Powell, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. I appreciate all that you do, too pleasure. Thank you, ma'am. That's some good stuff right there. I am starting to get hopeful that we're actually going to see somebody burn for this, but I guess we shall see. All right, we're not done yet. Hang on. Joining me now, the senator from the great state, one of my favorite states in the country, of Tennessee, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, you have been, thankfully, by the grace of God, out in front on this China stuff because I've been worried from the beginning that we were going to do what we always do or what it seems like we've been doing for about 30 years and just let China get away with stuff. You don't seem like you're all about letting them get away with stuff. Oh, no, I'm not for letting them get away. It is time that we hold them accountable. And I have to tell you, I've been working on this issue since I went to Congress in 2003 and started the Congressional Songwriters Caucus to build awareness about intellectual property theft and what was happening to a lot of our singers and songwriters in Nashville. And through that, then we started looking at other copyright infringements. And then we realized what was happening with the auto industry and aftermarket auto parts and with book publishers and with ink pen makers. The list just continued to grow with all of these consumer products. And then, Jesse, as you know, the work that I've done on defending us through our telecommunications systems with Huawei fighting what they were trying to do. And as I was chairman of comms and tech with at Energy and Commerce there in the house, much of the emphasis was put on safeguarding our industry here and keeping Huawei 
out of our telecommunications system. And then we started working on all the social media apps. Of course, TikTok, China owned is one of the worst. And then we were going into pharmaceuticals and looking at what was happening with vaccine shortages. And then the next thing you know, it is COVID-19. And what you see is a consistent pattern of action by China and the Chinese Communist Party. And it is, they are going to lie, they are going to cheat, they are going to steal, and it is time to hold them accountable. Well, speaking of coronavirus, it came from China, it's China's fault, we know all that. But our response to it is our responsibility. We don't have to do the things everyone else did. We don't have to do the things China did. And right now, I feel like half this country has gotten things figured out or they're getting things figured out, Senator. And I'm sorry to be mean. I feel like the other half doesn't want to get it figured out. I look at things like what California is doing, what Governor Whitmer is doing up in Michigan, and I say that that looks like intentional stupidity to me. Well, we have states like Tennessee that are ready to open and they are fast at work on opening and getting back to work. That's a very good thing. It's good for people to be out and about. It is good for our nation's economy to get the wheels turning. It is good for children to be able to get outside and play and go to summer camp and get ready to go back to school. So those are all positive things. Then you have states like Michigan with uh, Governor Whitmer, and no wonder the people in Michigan are out protesting. She feels like she and her husband ought to have one set of rules and everybody else in Michigan ought to have another set of rules. And people in Michigan want to get out and uh, enjoy the summer. Senator, I'm worried about another massive bill. I understand that you've been awesome about this too, but I I feel like there's not a lot of this, even in our own party, of actually worrying about these deficits and debts. We're facing down a $4 trillion deficit this year, and there's talk about another bill being passed through Congress. When does it end? When is is somebody going to say, whoa, 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 We, we can't do any more of this? Stop the madness. <laughs> um, well, I, I will I will tell you, thank goodness for the Senate Republicans. And it's why we need to hold the Senate and we need to pick up a Senate seat in Michigan. But uh, what we need to do, the three things I hear from Tennessee businesses are this. Number one, we need liability protection be sure that there is a way that we're not going to get sued by somebody who claims they came to our establishment or to our school and they caught COVID-19. So they want that federal liability protection. Second thing we hear about is that they want to make certain that there are going to be some tax credits for them. There are going to be ways for them to actually get reimbursed for the money that they are spending. They want to, in order to keep their factories safe. Uh, And then the third thing is they want regulatory relief. Get the federal government off their back. And if we didn't need a rule or regulation during COVID-19, get it off the books. 
and i led the senate in an initiative to push for regulatory relief and we were thrilled that the president did an executive order on that and he has actually challenged the members of his cabinet to move forward and get rid of some of these regulations. Uh, that is a great step in the right direction. And we're looking forward to having uh, more opportunities through our different committees to say what regulations were not needed. What regulations do we need to keep off the books? And those are steps that we should be taking. Senator, I, I love liability protection. I think we are a Sioux happy country, and I think it's a smart move to consider that a lot of businesses are going to stay closed because they're worried about getting sued uh, into being, you know, no longer businesses anymore. However, as soon as I hear we need a law, I get a little worried. And what does that look like? So we're not, you know, so we're doing the smart thing, but we're not overreaching because the federal government, as you well know, tends to do that. Yes. That is right. And, uh, you know, there are things like with the FDA, as we have done the work toward getting some kind of vaccine or the antivirals and getting them into the marketplace, you have to stop and say, okay, uh, how, what rules did we take off the FDA's plate? And what did they waive in order to speed that process? Now, we don't need any more of that. What we need is to just say, let's let that be bygone, because it is imperative that we begin to fast track some of these, um, some of this research work and get it through the approval process. Uh, every week, we are getting hopeful signs for a vaccine for COVID-19. We need to get that into the pipeline. And, you know, this follows much of the work that was done on SARS, that was done on Ebola. Uh, you look at how we've moved forward with avian flu, with getting a vaccine for that. There are steps that are taken. And what the FDA needs to say is we sped the review process up as we were working on certain things and as we worked on COVID-19, why don't we do that for all the vaccines and pharmaceuticals that we're needing? Senator, lastly, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about this Flynn Comey disaster. This has been, in my opinion, it's been really pulling at the threads of society. I think a lot of people feel like there's one rule, set of rules for us, one set of rules for everybody in the in crowd, and somebody has to burn for this because it looks really bad. Not only does it look really bad, it has been horrific. You know, as I was vice chairman of the transition for the president and working with the vice president on this, those of us on the transition committee, now we're finding out, you know, that you had an active group over at the FBI or over at DOJ and they were surveilling members of the transition committee. Let's find out what they did. Let's find out what Susan Rice knew. Let's find out what Jim Comey knew. And we have uh, had our first meeting on issuing subpoenas uh, there at Judiciary Committee. We are going to have a another meeting on June 4th. When we go back next week, we will vote to issue those subpoenas. It's a lengthy list and your viewers can follow me on Facebook and Twitter, my website, blackburn.senate.gov, and they can see that list. We're wanting to hear from people. And another thing I have to tell you, 
People say, you know, this was, you had a pretty wide group that sought to unmask um, Flynn and uh, other members, possibly the president's family. And so this had this cabal and this plot that got cooked up and then somebody gave the order to carry it out. And then you had somebody do the dirty work. And now you're beginning to find out how wide that circle was of people that actually knew about this thing. So what we want to do is get to the bottom of it and find out exactly what happened. Flynn and the Trump administration certainly have paid a price. The American people have footed the bill for this. So we want to find out exactly what happened. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thank you so much for giving us some time tonight. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. We got a lot more. Hang on. Joining me now, host of This Is My Show with Drew Berquist. Drew Berquist. Drew, obviously the focus tonight is on Flynn and all this gigantic FBI, CIA mess, and we're going to get to all that. But uh, to ask you a broad question right off the bat, no justice you know, system, no criminal justice system is perfect. It's difficult to decide how to prosecute somebody, how to punish people. Every society in history has screwed it up in some way. How right do we get it on a scale like that, knowing everybody screws it up on some level? I mean, I tell you what, I don't think that right, because you look at, uh, and thanks for having me, by the way, but you look at what's, what's happened over the last several years. You can look way, way back if you want, but let's just look back, you know, the last four or so years, and you see the people, what they've done, you know, whether it's Hillary's emails, whatever the case might be, and that small number or that small percentage of people who are actually investigated and or indicted, uh, there's never a precedent set that if you do something wrong, there are consequences. It's kind of the other, other way around, unfortunately, now these days where, hey, you know what? You're, you're a powerful person. You're a politician. You're whatever. We'll help you off. You're going to get a little slap in the wrist in the court of public opinion, and that's about it. So I think that it's kind of a failure. There's times where we get it right, and like you said, no one's perfect, but, but I think that there's enough misses there that should be cause for concern. Drew, what does the average citizen have to do to help clean that up? Because we, we talk all the time, you and I, we talk on camera about the problems in this system and there's a problem there. And the emails I get from people are mostly saying, I feel helpless. What can I do? What can I do? What can they do? Is there anything the average citizen can do? I, that's a great question uh, by them and by you. I mean, I think uh, the, the one thing they can do is not settle you know, not be complacent. I think that goes for all of us. You know, just if you let the system happen and, and you become a, a part of it, uh, then obviously you're not fighting for change. You're not doing anything wrong or you're not doing anything to help the situation. But the flip side of that is, and, and the reason they're asking those questions is there is a degree of helplessness out there where it's like, well, they're big, bad government. They're these powerful figures. How do you do it? And I think you just keep the heat on and you educate more and more people to the point where eventually everyone's like, oh, no, 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 we're not. We're not doing it this way. Like justice has to be had. There needs to be laws that are not, they're already in place that just need to be enforced now. Uh, and there needs to be a system that makes sense and that people can get behind. 
But I think part of it really does come down to the education and, and not trying to pick fights with people who have different beliefs than you, but, but educate and inform them on, hey, this is actually how the system works. This is actually what this person has done. Do you think that they should be punished for that? And, and make them decide. And then, and then as everyone can kind of rally around that point, a bigger and more sustained and impactful push can be made to actually have change. But hopefully right now we're seeing it. Hopefully what Barr and Durham are doing will start to kind of push that ball down the hill a little bit. Does enough of the public actually care? And this is what I mean by this. Obviously, we all know what happened in Minnesota. We all saw the death on camera, the murder on camera. We, we saw that. We saw them burn down Minnesota for 48 to 72 hours. And boom, all of a sudden, guys are under arrest who were not under arrest. Now, everybody knows that is because of public pressure. Whether that's a good thing or not, I guess we can argue. But we know that's because of public pressure. We are... How many years into this Obama, Barr, Flynn, Comey, Brennan thing, and not a single guy is busted in any way? I think the worst thing to happen to anybody is Peter Strzok walked out of the FBI office scot-free. So are we that mad? I mean, you and I yell about it, but a lot of people aren't. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I think they're either not, they're, their heads are in the stand, they don't want to know what's going on because it's easier for them to just go about their day. Uh, or they do, and then people that that do are so partisan and you know on such polar opposite ends of the spectrum that there's no possible way for them to really have a conversation, and and that of course prevents change and 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 things going in a, in a positive direction as well. So so I think it is. I think it's a little bit of look. I don't want to know what's going on. I don't care. I just want to live in my little bubble, drink my frappuccino, and move on with my day. And then and then again, the other people, people like you and I who deal with this stuff on more of a daily basis, it's like no 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 no. You are way wrong over here. This this is what needs to happen. Maybe there's obviously there's some room for some compromise, but uh, I, I honestly I was talking about it with someone this morning. I feel like we're at a point, and I don't like saying this, and I'm not inferring anything, but I do feel like we're at a point where it's just we're irreparable. There's you know the the, the justice system's broken. The partisan relationships between everyday citizens and politicians is so fractured that it's very rare that you can find someone you can sit down with over a bourbon, don't waste your time with anything else. Uh, but it's very rare that you can find that person who you can sit down and have that conversation and and not have it turn into a massive argument. And I think that those are the kind of things that hurt us. Okay, where do we go from here? Look, everybody knows, I've said it a million times, only half in jest that I feel like America is going to break up, split up in some way. Now, people scream about that, and it sounds radical, and it is radical until you look at the lens of history. Every nation in the history of the world rises and falls. They, they, they appear, they disappear, they break up, they move on. I don't like yeah. saying that because I love my country so much. How much time do we have? Because you're right. I mean, these divisions are so bad, and these divisions don't generally heal on their own. They keep going this way. Put a time frame on it. Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's as long as as any of us would have ever thought um, from from now into the near future. I, I think that we're at that breaking point to the point where you're going to have more and more people that actually have some some you know wasta or clout behind their voice or, or their their messaging where this starts to pick up because it really does. And at the end of the day, look, I never wanted it either, and I and I still really don't. But it's kind of at that point where it might be necessary, and it doesn't mean that you're enemy states. If you're splitting up, hey, you guys. Get rid of the church. You guys have abortions. Pay for illegal, you know, whatever. You guys go do that in your place. Um, we'll do we'll do it the way we want to here. We can still have the biggest question, of course, is how do you handle sports? You can still handle sports. We've got teams in Canada. 
It'll be no different. Um, so you you know you, there's ways to figure it out if you had to go that way. But I I think it's coming sooner than later. And if and if it doesn't, either something remarkable has happened, which I don't believe will be the case, or worse, we all continue to be complacent and let it just happen. Uh, and we have this hyper partisan culture that is that is literally destroying everything. Well, if we can divvy up sports, should just one country get women's basketball or all of them? No, they they definitely all the Title IX stuff goes to the new Democratic Nation of America. Okay. All right, Drew. Florida. Everybody knows Ron DeSantis has opened this place up. Florida's looking better and better. What is the current state of politics in Florida? Because it's such it's such a critical state for this November election. No matter how all this Flynn Obama bar stuff shakes out, Florida is going to matter big time in November. Is it that purple? Is it red? Is it blue? What, what, is the, what does it actually look like? It seems like it's always close. Well, it's always close, and I think it's going to continue to be close. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about the I-4 corridor. You know, people that came in um, from Maria, this, that, and the other, you know, the, the political messaging from the Democrats is typically better for folks who are who are migrating to Florida and to, to the U.S. in general. Um, but I think I think that the messaging here, you know, DeSantis has one done great. The, the, the fervor for, for Trump in the South and Florida is, is in the South, even though we're really not a Southern state, but we're in the South, um, is big. You know, people love the, the Cuban community down in Miami loves him, even though you've got parts of Broward and parts of, of that region down there that are very, very blue. I think it's still not enough to tip it into full-on purple status. There's there's some concern, again, in the I-4 corridor and a couple other areas about that. But all, all in all, it's still a red state. I think it hangs on as a red state a little bit longer. Drew Berquist, host of This Is My Show with Drew Berquist. Have a good one, my buddy. You too. Thanks for having me. And that is all for us tonight. And just know we're going to still be all over this whole Bar Durham investigation as it goes along. It really is a big deal in a lot of ways because of a lot of the things Drew was just talking about. It might be the biggest deal out there right now. So look, you know where to go to get your news. Well, opinions. All right, some tomfoolery. You come here. I'll see you. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.